Well, good morning. Welcome to The Vine. So glad to see you all here today. It's a pleasure. Before we dive in today uh, with some very important things, I want to take a moment to uh, recognize a few people. If you haven't noticed, we've got uh, a party happening today. Yeah, straight up. Me and James are going to wrestle in the bouncy house. So um, we just get, you can buy your tickets after the service. Um, and uh, so we got lots happening out here. We got some food. It's the time to celebrate what God has done uh, together. And so we can look forward to that. But if you draw your attention right over here, you'll see some beautiful pieces of art. And uh, our, our guy here, Justin. Justin, wave your hand. There he is. Um, you can go give him a gentle pat on his bald head and say thank you um, for his gift of artwork. And so this is a reminder of who we are as a church. And so, Justin, thank you. And um, go out of your way, please, to thank him. Justin is a, kind of a, a, a bigwig artist at the university. And so um, can, I, can I use that term, bigwig? You, don't have, you might need a wig, but... Um, <laughs> No, like Justin does a phenomenal job, and we're, we're just really grateful to have him with us and that he would serve us in this way. In addition, in light of the party happening, Kelsey, who's in the first service, is kind of um, in charge of um, helping us do celebrations well here at the Vine. And so a lot of you know who Kelsey is. Hey, would you go out of your way to thank her and her team? Um, she can draw your attention to who her team is, so you can thank them as well. But please, let's, let's, let's be a thankful church. You know, you've heard me talk about that recently. Let's be a thankful church and go out of our way to thank people for the way they serve. Um, there's too many uh, to mention this morning, and so we want to do that regularly as a church from the front. All right, so if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it, uh, digital or paper, to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. It's way in the back. 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 9. And just put your thumb there, um, and we're going to get to that in a little bit. But I want to cast a little vision for what we are going to be doing in these next few weeks, okay? In terms of our sermons here at the Vine. So one of the things that will really help you understand the Bible, if you're new to the Bible is this theme of remembrance. One of the most important aspects of being a Christian is learning to be a person of remembrance, okay? People who uh, don't forget. God calls his people over and over again to be people that don't forget, okay? People who can easily recall a couple things. Number one, who God is and what he's all about. And secondly, who we are, and what are we all about? And what does God's word have to say about that? Over and over and over and again, God calls his people to remember. Remember. Don't forget. Don't forget. Remember. Remember who you are. Remember how you should live in light of who you are. Remember who I am as God and what I'm all about as God. Don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. And I don't know about y'all, like, but I need this. I don't roll out of bed every morning just meditating on the great truths of who God is and what he's done in my life and what that means for me today. I need reminders. I need reminders. Oh, yeah, that's, that's what happened. Oh, yeah, that's how grace has has. has, has been on a collision course with my life, and grace has changed my life. So that's got something to say for how I operate today as I go about my daily life. I need that reminder. 
I'm not a super Christian up here just because I'm standing up here. We all need those reminders, okay? So, since we are a forgetful people, and that's just assumed biblically, we're going to spend the next seven weeks here at the Vine in a vision series. And what that means is we want to take some set-aside time to remind ourselves, what are we all about here as a church family? What does it mean to be a part of the Vine? Now, if you're new here, a vision series is just simply that. It's an an explanation of gospel, community, and mission. What does that mean for us? What is that supposed to look like for us? And if you want to be a part of this church family, what, what are the expectations? What's the job description, right? But here's the deal. This vision series this year, we do it every year, but this year it's going to be a little different. And here's what that means. And I want to speak to four different groups of people this morning when we think about the vision series, okay? First this morning, I want to talk to folks that are already members of the vine, okay? And at the end of our vision series, we are going to ask you to renew your covenant of membership, okay? Remember that piece of paper that you signed that just kind of spells out real simply, this is what it means to be a member of the vine. This is the job description. This is the the role that I have to play and that we play together as members of the vine that makes our, our church family beautiful and glorifying to God, okay? So why are we asking members to renew their covenant of fellowship? Great question. And it's not because as leaders we're seeing any massive problems. It's, that's not the motivation at all. It's again because we assume rightly, as the Bible teaches, that we're just forgetful, Right? It's good for us to be reminded of what, is really, of what it really means to be a member of the vine, right? Just like in my biological family, sometimes we have to have family meetings, and we'll gather, the six of us, and we'll say, guys, let's remember who we are. Let's remember why we exist. Let's remember what our values are. Let's remember what, what the sun is in our universe that we orbit around. And in the same way, that's all that we're doing here at the Vine in these next few weeks. Now, we've existed as a church for over seven years now. And so we just felt like as elders, it's time for a refresh. It's time for a refresh about what it means to be a part of the Vine family. So we've tweaked the covenant of fellowship, okay? We're going to make that available to you on Slack in the near future so you can read it and see there's not much that's significantly different. Just a few tweaks for the sake of clarity. We want you to reread it. And so... People who are already members of the vine, I'm talking to this first group, uh, we're going to ask you to re-sign the new covenant of fellowships in about, in, a, in about six weeks and reaffirm, re-remind, recommit to it, okay? More information coming about that. Second group. Some of you in this room are not yet members of the vine, but you know you want to be. And that's great. And so here's the deal. You get to listen in, in in a significant way in terms of what are we all, as a, all about as a church so that then you can decide, man, do I want to be a member here? And then just sign up for the membership class. And that's going to happen October 29th, November 5th, okay? And the sign-up link is now live on the website. You can go and do that if you're ready to do that, okay? Just sign-up tab at the top of thevinemadison.org. That's the second group. Now, the third group of people in the room are some of you that we see all the time. That's great. People that are just coming to check it out. Heard about the vine, 
checking it out, new to town, Google searching churches, just showed up at the vine, seemed like there were some things here I might resonate with, right? And so we're so glad that you're here. That's awesome. And we don't want to rush you into the membership class if you're, if you're not ready yet. But just, just know this. Because we love you, there's going to come a time when we're going to call you to get off the sideline and to get in the game. Okay? Another way to say it might be, the Bible simply assumes and teaches that there's no such thing as a wallflower Christian. Okay? The Bible assumes that if you come to the dance, you're going to dance at the dance. Right? And God's church is the main place where God's dance happens in the world today. That's what we believe. That's what the Bible teaches. And, and here's the thing. You can't say you love Jesus but not love his church. Why? Because Jesus loves his church. There's a beautiful metaphor in the Bible where Jesus calls his church his bride. He loves his people. His people are like a beautiful bride. And Jesus has come, and out of his deep love for his bride, for his people, for his church, he laid down his life to save them, to redeem them, to buy them back, to be their God, to give them life. So if you say you're a Christian, you want to be all about what Jesus is all about. And Jesus is all about his bride. Jesus is all about his people, okay? So if you say you want to follow Jesus, then you're going to love what he loves. And Jesus has a passionate love for his people, for his bride, right? Now, I know that some of you have been burned by church in the past, and this is hard for you. And and, and we want to work through that with you. But the Bible is really clear let, let, let's be committed to it, and then if there's challenge, let's work through it together, okay? Let's be committed to the fact that God calls us to love what he loves, and he loves his church, warts and all. He laid down his life for it. So let me just be clear. We're not calling you to this, if you're just kind of checking it out this morning, because we're trying to pad the stats of the Vine Church. We're not trying to build a mega church here. It's, it's not about numbers or, like, stroking the ego, e- ego of the pastor or whatever. You know what I mean? It's easy for pastors to want to have a big church. We're trying hard to fight against that kind of arrogance. But here's the deal. We bring this up, third group of people, because we're concerned about what's best for you. And what's best for you is to be passionately engaged member of a local church somewhere. Right? It doesn't have to be here. But it does have to be, okay? If you say you love God and and you want to follow him, you're trusting Jesus to save you from your sins and seeking to treasure him above all else. So again, we want to give you time to sort things out. We don't have to be in a rush. We can be patient. But there should come a time, maybe if you've been here six months or so, and you're like, ah, still on the sidelines. I was like, man, can we just talk about that? And again, it doesn't have to be here, but we want you engaged somewhere. There's lots of great churches in, in Madison that we could recommend. It's not just about us. The kingdom of God is bigger than the vine. We know that. We celebrate that. Okay? But can we at least just talk about what's driving your heart if that's where you find yourself this morning in that maybe third group? Okay? And then finally, there's a fourth group. 
or maybe the fourth group might be um, visitors, and, and that might be split in half. Maybe there's visitors here, and you're already Christian, you're just checking it out, great, glad you're here. Hope you can be a blessing at your other church home. But some of you here um, aren't Christians yet, and, and we're just so glad that you're here. And we just hope that you would listen in to when we talk about Jesus and what he's done in space, time, and history to, to save people from their sins. That I'm going to flesh out in a little bit right now. And we pray that that would captivate your heart. We pray that you would grow to see that. And if you have questions, man, we're here to answer those questions. We'd love to engage. The Vine is a place where it's safe to ask questions, okay? Can I just say that? So we're so glad you're here, and we hope that Jesus can be the solution for what you are seeking. So of those four groups, where do you find yourself? Probably everybody in this room is going to land in one of those groups. And I think it's important that through the course of this vision series in the next six weeks, you, you kind of know how to listen. You kind of know what, what uh, maybe your action point is at the end of that, okay? So next, next six weeks, two sermons on gospel today. Next week, two sermons on community. What does that look like at the vine? Two sermons on mission. What does that look like at the vine? And then week seven, we're going to have a covenant renewal Sunday, and that's going to be beautiful. More information about that. All right, so would you pray with me, and then let's let's dive into our text for today. Father, we ask for your help to have eyes to see, ears to hear, that the greatness of who you are and what you've you've done um, would awaken us this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I've talked about gospel community mission, three buzzwords that we kind of orbit around at, at the vine. But let me give you a gospel community mission in a sentence. This is the church's mission statement, okay? It'll be on the screen. The vine church desires to be a spirit-filled family that seeks to make disciples and plant churches among neighbors and nations through declaration and demonstration. All right? And we're going to unpack that in the next six weeks. But today, I've got a simple job description. I'm going to talk about the gospel, and where that lands in this statement is one word. It's the word declaration. What is the essence of this message that we declare? What we assume is that, and what, because the Bible teaches this, is that Christians have something to say. Christians have something to say. We're not a people of silence. We have a message to declare to any that will hear, okay? This is one of the main assumptions of what it means to be a follower of Jesus at the vine. We're going to be a people that have something to say, okay? So what is the main content of that? That's the question that we're going to talk about today, okay? It won't be exhaustive, but it will be clear from the Bible, so I'm a huge fan of the, 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 not the most recent, but the most recent before the most recent series of Batman movies, okay? So the ones with Christian Bale as Batman, uh, directed by Christopher Nolan. Amazing works of art. I'd recommend them. Um, and there's a poignant scene in the third Batman movie of that trilogy, The Dark Knight Rises, where Batman is not in Batman, uh, dare I say, costume. Um, maybe that's a little demeaning to Batman. But he's, in his, he's not in his garb. Uh, he's in, dressed as Bruce Wayne at a dinner party. 
and he is talking to Catwoman. And Catwoman knows about the, the main bad guy in this movie, Bane. And she knows what he's up to. And we also know what he's up to as well, because in the first scene of the movie, we see that Bane is up to no good, right? He's brewing up this nefarious plot to just wreak havoc on Gotham City. And Catwoman knows about this. And with a subtle sense of delight in Bruce Wayne or Batman's suffering, she's, she's talking to him, and she leans in close, and she says, there's a storm coming, Mr. Wayne. And at this point in the movie, we've, we've seen what Bane is up to and what he's capable of, but we don't yet have the full picture. There's just kind of that impending sense of doom, like, wow, he's up to some violence. And she says this to Batman, and it's like, what is about to go down? There's a storm coming, Mr. Wayne. Grabs your attention. Right now as I speak, there's a storm that's descending on Florida. It's massive. And thousands and thousands of people have evacuated. They've taken that message very seriously that there's a storm coming. We should be praying for them as we already have in our service. Have you been in a situation like that? I'm a Midwestern kid from day one. And in the Midwest, sometimes we have big storms in the summer. And I remember as a kid, uh, thunderstorms, not my favorite. I would cry, right? Didn't like those thunderstorms at all. And uh, you would look on the horizon and see, you know, that storm's coming. And you just look at the shade of dark, and you can kind of tell what you're getting into. The darker the storm, the heavier it might hit, right? Well, the Bible talks about a storm that is coming. And it should give us a sense of pause. It should sober us up. And here's what the Bible says. It's, it's not necessarily comfortable, but at the vine, we don't want to ignore what, what Jesus has to say. It's clear in the Bible. And here's what, what Jesus said himself about this. There's good news here and there's bad news here. It's both. And here's what Jesus said in John chapter 3. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Now, when Jesus speaks here of, of the wrath of God, this is the storm that is coming where God will one day finally and completely and justly judge all sin and make things right. The Bible is very clear on this. Now, for most of us, this is a tough pill to swallow. That's not something we delight in. That's not something that's really fun to think about, right? We don't enjoy hearing this. Many, many people react very strongly to what Jesus has to say here. Like, we hate that feeling of being judged. Like, what's, what's the most common buzzword or one of the most common buzzwords in media, culture, wherever, in, in relationships? Don't judge me. But maybe think about it like this. This might be helpful as you think about the Christian worldview and what the Bible says about judgment. Imagine if someone were to commit a heinous crime against you or someone you love. 
rape, murder, kidnapping, massive theft, arson, I mean, whatever. And that crime that's been committed against you goes to trial. And you show up for the verdict to be delivered on the day, and the judge simply stands up and says, it's, you know what, I'm in a good mood today. It's really no big deal. We're just going to let this one slide. Right? I'm just going to look the other way. What do we call that? What do we, what do we call a judge that's like that? I mean, our culture makes documentaries about judges like that to stir up emotions and, and, and be like, this is not right. What this judge is doing is wrong. We need to have some type of a cultural response to this guy. This is sin. Right? This is evil. You cannot just sweep things under the rug. That's wrong. What do we call it? We call it injustice. Right? We call it injustice. Everyone in this room, if you're the recipient of some heinous crime like that, and it just gets written off as no big deal, like that's horrible, right? That would haunt you the rest of your life. That injustice would gnaw at you, would it not? And we can relate to that, can we not? Well, the reason why we relate to that is because God is a God of justice. And the Bible says that his creatures, human beings, are made in his image. We have an acute sense of justice because God does as well. God hates injustice too. So, here's the thing. When his people that he created, that he gave life to, that he breathed life into, reject him and live in ways that dishonor him as creator, it would be unjust for God just to look the other way and go, eh, it's no big deal. Right? We get that, right? Makes sense. So when the Bible talks about the wrath of God... Think about that courtroom. But instead of you being the object of a heinous crime, God is the object of a heinous crime, and we're the ones that have committed it. That's what the Bible talks about when it comes to the wrath of God. God's wrath is his settled, determined, and just opposition to that which is not right. And we are the ones that have perpetrated that which is not right. But here's the problem. We want to define that which is not right in our own way. And we have our own subjective target that we shoot at. And when I get to design the target and the distance and how it all works, and I get to carry my own bow, and I get to design that own bow, it just so happens when I'm the designer, I hit a bullseye every time when I get to define the target. But the problem is, Our target is not God's target. God's target is his perfect holiness. God's target is his perfection. And every time I aim at perfection, I know that I miss wide of the bullseye of God's target. You with me? No one in this room can live up to that standard of perfection that is God's standard. And God can't be bartered with. He can't be bribed. He can't negotiate with him or buy him off, apart from some solution, Jesus is clear. There's a storm coming. 
because of our sin. Because we don't do what's right. Because we failed over and over and over again. One day Jesus was with his first followers. And his first followers were fishermen. Some of them were. And so they spent a lot of time on the water. And one day they were out on the boats, spending time on the water. And the, the, the body of water they were on was called the Sea of Galilee. And in this part of the world, in the Middle East, um, the way the, the topography is, is structured, lots of big hills, and based on the, the, the way that the water relates to the atmosphere and the land, um, there, there can be big storms that just brew and, and emerge without any moment's notice. So the Sea of Galilee was known for that. And so that's what happened on this day. Jesus isn't too worried about it. He's asleep in the boat. But these guys that are fishermen, and fishermen are getting worked up about a storm, guys that, are, that make their living by spending time in the water, if they're getting worked up about a storm, you know it's a serious storm, right? And so there's this massive storm that emerges while they're out on the water, and they're freaking out. And they wake up Jesus, like, Jesus, we're going to die out here. You're sleeping. Don't you care about us? Like, we're desperate here. Can you do something? And he gets up. And all he has is two words. Be still. That's all he needs. He doesn't need an incantation. He doesn't have to barter with the gods in some sense. No, he, all he needs is two words. Be still. And immediately it is. See, Jesus stands between the impact of the storm and the lives of his followers with his very self, his very word. Only God himself could stand in the way of a hurricane and have the authority to tell it to stand down. And that's a great picture of how the gospel works. I want, I want us to look at this short summary of the gospel found in the, first, in the book of 1 John. You'll see it on the screen. If you have it in your Bible, look at it in your Bible. 1 John 4, 9 through 10. Here's what it says. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Let me highlight a few things here and then, and then we'll be done, okay? Check it out. What do we learn? Great question for your Bible reading, just as a little extra credit for no extra charge, all right? Great question to ask when you're reading your Bible is this. What do I learn about God? What do I learn about us? What do I learn about God? What do I learn about us? Well, let's ask that of this text. What, what do we learn about God and us here? Well, the first thing we learn through the repetition of the word love is that God is not just a God of wrath, like Jesus said in John chapter 3. In 1 John, we learn that God is also a God of profound love. 
Love is emphasized three times in these two verses. Is, and this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And then flip back there, Taylor 1. In this is the love. So we see that again three times in two verses, stressing the love of God. Do you know that? Do you see him that way? That God is a God of love. And this verse, in addition, check it out. He says that his love is seen, known, can be grasped tangibly. That's a phrase, in this, the love of God, it wasn't just spoken, it wasn't just declared, but it became more tangible. It's love with flesh on. It's love in a human person. Manifest. It was made manifest. It was made real. You could touch it. It's not just an ethereal teaching. It's a historical event. 2,000 years ago, that's what this is talking about. The love of God tangibly made manifest in a person. That's better than just hearing it. You could also see it. And we see it now right here. Ladies, let me talk to you. If your husband says all the time that he loves you, that's a good thing, right? But how much more if he actually shows you? He demonstrates, he makes it manifest to you in a way that you can see and hold and feel and touch. Isn't that much better, ladies? That's what the author of 1 John is getting at here. It's, 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 it's spoken, but it's also shown. It's made manifest. So why? Because he loves us. Because he loves us. You want to know that God loves you? A lot of people want to know that. How can I know that God loves me? Right? What does it say? Look to the Son. In this, the love of God has been made manifest. It's been displayed. It's been real. That God sent his only Son. So the foundation for your feelings of knowing that God loves you is not just a a, a deep, profound sense of hoping. Well, I hope he does. No, you can know that he does. Why? Because there's this event that has actually happened in history where God himself came in Jesus and entered our world. Why? Because he loves us. So if I want to know that he loves me, I look to that. That's what this is saying. The love of God made real, made tangible, made manifest among us. How? That God sent his only son. But even, it gets even better. So what do we get when we understand that? What was the motivation that God did all of that? Was it so that, so that we could receive boredom from God? Is it because uh, maybe he wanted to squash our joy? Is that what it says? What, what else do we get out of this? Do we just get maybe a, a sense of slavish obedience? Man, I better just get my act together so God can be pleased with me. I don't want him mad at me. Is that what this is all about? That's not what it says. What does it say? It says this whole thing is all about one word, live. Or that we could say differently, have life. You want life? You want to know life? You want to know what it truly means to be alive, to be awakened? See, biblically speaking, life or to live is the opposite of the wrath of God. The wrath of God is death. The wages of sin is death. 
the penalty of God is death, but it doesn't have to be death. It can be life, and here's how, through Jesus. Jesus came so that we don't have to have a storm descend on us of God's wrath. Jesus came so that we can have life. And then John just keeps going. It even keeps getting better. It's not just that Jesus wants to, or God wants to display his love so that we can have life. It's, it's even more than that. What does it say? Verse 10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, what does that mean? Anybody ever use the word propitiation in common English conversation? Anybody? I haven't either. But it's a hugely important word in the English, English language that the Bible uses. So it's very important for us to understand this. The propitiation for our sins. What does that mean? Well, propitiation can have a complex definition, but it's no less than the removal of wrath or the appeasing of wrath, the satisfaction of wrath. When we sing the great song, in Christ alone we sing, the wrath of God was satisfied. So what 1 John is teaching us is that Jesus is the means by which the wrath of God is removed from those who deserve to receive it because of their sin, because of their constantly assaulting God and just saying, God, I don't trust you. I don't believe you know what you're talking about. I'm going to do my own thing. And instead of his wrath falling on us, Jesus came so that the wrath of God would fall on him. That's what the whole cross of Jesus is all about, right? That's what it's all about. It's not just so we could have a good example of what it means to be loving, although it is that. God himself came in Jesus to bear his wrath upon himself instead of on us, right? Think about that. Jesus came and said, you want to know why I came? I came to seek, pursue, to, 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 to run after, to call to myself. I came to seek and also to save the lost. That's Jesus' mission statement, seek and save the lost. But what does it mean to be saved Save from what? That's a great question to ask if, if you're a Christian here or if you're not a Christian here. Save from what? The Bible's clear. We're saved not from bad self-esteem. We're not ultimately saved from the suffering I experience in this life. I'm not ultimately saved from political injustice or broken dreams. We're saved from the wrath of God. We're saved from the storm that is coming. See, and here's the beauty of the Christian message, the essence of the gospel. Jesus bore that wrath for us. Jesus bore the brunt of that storm for us. He stood in the eye of the hurricane so that we would not have to. He removed his own wrath from us and bore it himself because of his deep love for us. So if you want to know what Christianity is all about, in some ways it could be summarized like this. Your, your sin problem is probably much, much deeper than you could ever conceive of. And it's deserving of the just wrath of God. I mean, look at the cross. This is what the cross is. This is how serious our sin is. 
The, the penalty that God in Jesus bore on himself was the most horrible death maybe ever conceived of, crucifixion. If, if that's what our sin deserves, our sin's a big deal. So maybe we need to redefine how we view our sin. So my sin probably runs deeper than I can even conceive of, but if you trust Jesus as Lord and treasure him above all else, which is what the Bible calls faith, trusting and treasuring Jesus, then you can know for sure that you're loved far deeper than you could probably ever conceive of. And that's also in the cross, where it's not us, but God himself taking our place and bearing the justice of himself in himself so that we can be loved and go free and be adopted into a new family and have a glorious eternal inheritance. So imagine you're living in Florida right now. And maybe you know it's just a matter of maybe 30, 40 minutes and that hurricane is going to be right over the top of us. And there's that sobering sense of uncertainty, like, how's this going to go down? I I know the storm is coming. What's going to happen? The message of Christianity is simply this. Because Jesus came into the world and died in the place of sinners and rose again from the dead, confirming it all true as a historical fact, for those who trust and treasure in King Jesus, the storm is not coming. The storm's not coming. Can you imagine that, standing there in Florida, and you see the ominous dark clouds, and all of a sudden, it just takes a sharp right turn, and it's gone. It's gone 125 miles miles an hour. It's gone. See, God looks to his own just wrath that sin deserves and says to his own wrath, two words, be still. I'll take that on myself. But in reference to these that have trusted in me, be still. They're mine. The storm will never touch them. Now, some of you today need to believe this for the first time. And know for the first time that no matter what you've done, your sins can be forgiven, wiped clean, justified. Justice has been spent out on Jesus in your place. And so now his perfection is credited to you and, it's, and, and, and the gavel comes down and it says not guilty. And there's not going to be a retrial. God's wrath is truly removed from you and for the first time according to God's word which never lies you can have life. You can know life. You can know what it means to be truly alive. Some of you in this room need to just keep believing that message every morning. When your feet hit the floor, I need to remind myself, 1 John 4, 9 and 10 is true today. I know that God loves me. I know that he laid down his life for me. I know that God's wrath is satisfied in reference to me. And I know that he wants to give me life. And so I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen to him. 
So this is the message that we declare. There's more to say, it's never less. You are far more deeply loved than you can even imagine. Jesus is the proof. Let's pray. Father, would you help us to see your truth and live in light of it? We're so thankful that we have a word from you that can melt our hearts and awaken us to true life. And may that be so this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.